Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So obviously a lot of this show today is going to be based on the facts of what happened as Georgia won one of the most amazing games any of us ever seen against Ohio State in, in the Peach Bowl. And we're going to kind of get in all the key moments and try to catalog them in the appropriate way. And John Stenchcomb's going to stop by and help us with all of that. This is one of those days in which it's kind of hard to cram it all in. We all lived through so much on Saturday. But that's kind of where... I want to start here for a moment because when I really look back on this and look back on what it was that we, in some respects, endured on Saturday, to me, it's not the facts that will live with me the most. It's the feeling. And the feeling is this, and I have to just be honest with you about this. And maybe when I get older and retell the story of having been there, maybe I'll change all this to make it sound better (laughs) in retrospect than it was in the moment. Y'all, I got to confess this off the top. I didn't enjoy a minute of this while it was actually taking place. I mean, am I the only one that feels that way? I was in knots from like 4.30 in the afternoon, certainly all the way up to kickoff, during the game. I'm not just talking about because Georgia was losing, because frankly, even when Georgia was losing, they were still kind of making some plays to stay in the game. There was so much sustained tension in this, and that when it was over, that's kind of the feeling that I sort of had for a moment of, man, I can't believe just how... Hence, all of this felt the entire time. And it was wild. It was fun. It was entertaining. Uh, at least if you maybe didn't have you know, a, a side in the game and going back and re-watching some of this on television on Sunday, you know, I, I think you were able to kind of experience this through the eyes of maybe people who didn't have the same emotional level of investment that maybe some of us did. But in the particular moment, it was just a nail-biter from the word go. And it's the feeling of the game, I think, that will live with me so much well after kind of some of the facts recede from our memory there a bit. But in terms of why was it that Georgia won, or in terms of how was it that Georgia won, you see a beautiful celebration video on the screen there for those of you who are watching on video. You never get tired of seeing stuff like that. But when, when you want to go back and try to answer those questions, what just happened? How did this happen? How was it that Georgia won? You know, there's a word that comes to my mind, and it's a word that we used a lot leading into the game. But honestly, in retrospect, I think this word came to mean something different during the game. Like one of the things that we would have said a lot, and we probably did over the course of the last month, because it seems like we had you know a, a long time to get ready for the Peach Bowl in a lot of ways you did. And the one thing we kept hearing Georgia fans say over and over again, as far as like why what you know you know why do you feel confident that Georgia's going to win you know you know w- you know what does Georgia have that Ohio State doesn't like the word that kept coming up was toughness 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 I said it you said it a lot of folks said it Georgia themselves kind of talked about it not talking down about Ohio State but just talking up their ability to be tough to be physical to bring that in to a game like this and so much in the past physical toughness had been really the the recipe for Georgia it was physically tougher than Michigan last year you won the Orange Bowl physically tougher than Alabama the national championship game that's what helped propel to victory and there were a lot of Georgia fans who said the physical toughness that Georgia has will also propel it past Ohio State and this kind of became one of those games in which Georgia never really quite got that chance to assert the physical toughness the way we expected them to. They never quite got that opportunity because, frankly, Ohio State hit some big plays early. We all said, hey, if Ohio State gets off to a fast start, this could turn into a kind of a wild, crazy one. It sort of did. And so, therefore, the physical toughness that I do believe was truly an advantage for Georgia, 
it kind of got negated. It kind of got neutralized. And yet, ultimately, what we saw here was a very different kind of toughness on display. That ultimately, what really, I think, won the game for Georgia was a, a certain level of mental toughness. The ability to just not quit to just never say die. And all of these things are so cliche in sports. I, I realize that that's kind of a part of the way in which we tell stories about sports of, oh, they just never gave up, they never quit. And a lot of that kind of stuff has the, the, the trappings of sort of an embellished legend. I, I understand all of that. But if you've been watching Georgia these last couple of years, I mean, can't you say with absolute certainty that there is something of an intangible quality that just sort of makes this team different? That, that when a lot of people would have maybe had sufficient reason to stop believing, that somehow, some way, this team never stopped believing in itself. My wife, who was in the stands with our kids on Saturday, she said the fans were kind of the same way. You know, in the stadium, that level of belief stayed high, too, that the people inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium never gave up, even when Georgia was down two touchdowns. Now, we've had a lot of folks who kind of raised their hand from social media and said, hey, I'm not quite so sure. I thought Georgia was going to pull this out. I think I'd already kind of started moving on and start thinking about next year or whatever else. Uh, but in that building, we have some reason to believe the fans in the stands and certainly the coaches and players on the field, they never quit. They never gave up. They never, they never stopped believing that they were a play away from putting themselves up to make another play that became another play. And all of a sudden you have a chain reaction of plays that leads to this victory, and that's exactly what happened. And those of us who were there or those of us who watched, those of us who were live during this era, we will never forget being a part of it. So with that in mind, let me let you hear Kirby Smart after the game on Saturday because I think he summed up the resilience, the toughness, the mental toughness, the 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 willingness to keep grinding, to keep fighting, the willingness to to give yourself one more chance to make one more play, to maybe bring this gap a little closer, to put yourself in a chance to make another play. I think that Kirby Smart talked about that very well after the game. Uh, this is some of what Kirby Smart said about that. I'll open with um, a lot of respect for Ohio State, for uh, Ryan Day and his program, just saw C.J. Stroud out there, and my heart goes out to those guys because uh, they played well enough to win the game and um, got a really good football team. Uh, so do we, and uh, our guys are extremely resilient. We talked halftime about some games we've been in this year we've been behind in, including the Missouri game, and um, I had no doubt that our team would come out fighting. Um, did not play our best football game. A lot of that had to do with Ohio State. Yeah, listen, you got to give Ohio State credit. They played well enough to put Georgia on the ropes. You know, boxing analogy, you understand that. They, Georgia took some big blows from Ohio State on Saturday, and they were wobbly there for a while. But you hear Kirby Smart says, say this. He says that he learned something about his team in the Missouri game. You remember being in Columbia? Remember how awful that night was, how frustrating that night was? Apparently a little scar tissue got developed there. They gave Kirby the confidence to say, you didn't quit then when you had a chance to, and therefore I believe you won't quit on a night like tonight either. That's a strong statement there from Kirby Smart. And that's the feeling you're left with the game. You know, the, the idea that even in the midst of a game that was so nerve-wracking, some of us might say, I'm not quite so sure I ever actually enjoyed that. The Georgia players themselves stayed clear-minded, clear-eyed, focusing on what needed to happen next. And obviously some of that for uh, Georgia was a game-winning drive. After it was all said and done, after being down two touchdowns to begin the fourth quarter, 
Georgia finally, through an amazing set of circumstances, had a game-winning drive, a go-ahead drive there late to take the lead. A huge Kiaris Jackson reception, put Georgia on the doorstep, and then after that, boom, uh, Stetson Bennett finding A.D. Mitchell in the corner for the touchdown that ultimately would prove to be the difference for Georgia in the game. And along the theme of Kirby saying after halftime, he knew this team wouldn't give up. He knew this team would stay focused. Stetson Bennett himself talked about what the attitude was like in the offensive huddle, what, was the, what the attitude was like among Georgia's uh, offensive players ahead of what turned out to be the game-winning moment for them. This is good stuff from Stetson on the same theme. Let's take a listen to this. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really remember, recall, you know, words, but I, just looking at everybody and saying, all right, hey, we hadn't played our best and we hadn't done our jobs to the best of our ability, but, hey, we're here now, and it's in our hand now. You know, defense stood up whenever we needed them to, and – where else would you rather be? You know, having the ball with two minutes left, and if you score a touchdown, you win the game. And I, I looked around, and there was just a whole bunch of just determined, strong stares from all the dudes, and gave me confidence. Everybody else had confidence when we went down the field. You ever, like, go somewhere, they have those, like, motivational posters on the wall? You know, some of those are kind of corny phrases, but sometimes corny phrases kind of, you know, work on me. You ever see one that says failure isn't final? Like, that's what kind of reminds me of what Stetsman is saying there. There were a lot of moments in, you know, at various points of the game where the Georgia offense kind of failed. You know, it had a chance. You know, Bennett threw a bad interception. He would say that himself. He even said he, you know, had some bad moments in this game. But those fail points of the Georgia offense were not final, that – if you keep coming back and making plays, and we're going to talk more in a moment about some of the plays this offense made, if you keep coming back and making plays, you have a chance to make the play that everybody remembers. And ultimately, that's all anybody's ever going to talk about is not the moments early in the game when something didn't kind of go well. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some sort of hater somewhere that turns the latch on and something like that. But, but the stuff that people are going to really remember for this game are those late-game heroics that Bennett and this offense always seem to find when they absolutely need to. And once again, they did that on Saturday night. And the kind of never quit, knew they wouldn't step, you know, kind of let down attitude that Kirby Smart talked about uh, coming out of the half with. Stetson Bennett kind of gives you a reflection of that there on the offensive side of the ball. And on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Javon Bullard much the same way. If we talk about some fail points for the Georgia offense, how many more of those throughout the game was there for the Georgia defense? I mean, listen, Ohio State, we got to say it. Every Georgia fan would say this today. Ohio State was giving them everything they wanted for – so much of this game. C.J. Stroud was amazing. Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, when he was in the game for a long time, was amazing. And started slowing down a little bit in the third quarter, but he had some huge, huge plays, certainly in the first half of this game. And he wasn't the only receiver for Ohio State that was doing some of that. And yet Georgia kept going and making just enough plays defensively to give the offense the chance to take the lead when it was all said and done. And Javon Bullard deserves some credit for the emotional lift that he and the Georgia players were also able to provide throughout the game there as well. Let me let you hear Bullard on the defensive side of the ball for a moment. We give a lot of credit to Ohio State. Those guys made plays when they needed to make plays. Um, but we knew coming into the game it wasn't going to be perfect. Um, you come into a game like this, uh, college playoff, we know you're going to give up some plays. They're going to make some plays. We're going to make some plays. You can't get up. You can't get too high up and you can't get too low. So we knew, uh, like I said, we were going to have to rely on the connection that we built throughout the offseason and, and the resiliency. I couldn't be more proud of a team. I mean, he says we're going to have to rely on the connection we built during the offseason. We've heard Kirby Smart talk about that so much. And I said before, I think we're always on guard that some of this kind of stuff is embellished or exaggerated. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, you say because it sounds good. But when you've watched Georgia now for these last two years, I think you're really left to conclude it really, truly is real. 
there is something about this team that just makes it different. And the thing that makes it intangible is the fact that we can't define it. Even someone like me who you know, talks for a living and never shuts up seemingly, even someone like me who's no, no shortage of words, you can't quite accurately describe why it is that this team thrives in moments in which other teams would will. Maybe previous Georgia teams, or maybe previous teams that were ranked number one, or previous that, or, pre- or previous that. We can all think of teams that from a talent standpoint look similar to Georgia, yet that didn't quite thrive in these moments the way that Georgia has. And we'll never probably be able to explain it. But the thankful thing is we don't have to necessarily explain it. We just have to watch it play out. We have to observe it. We have to enjoy it. And i got to tell you, as tense and as, um, you know, maybe not quite so fun as it was throughout the game, as you lived and died with every roller coaster moment from this game, when you finally were able to relax, when you are finally able to take that deep breath and just watch the celebration play out, Man, I am so grateful to have been a part of that. I know many of you were there as well, whether you're, you know, you're celebrating in your living room, and Michael showed us some great stuff with that yesterday on uh, social media, or whether you're in the stadium, and I probably hugged so many people <laughs> on Saturday that, uh, that I didn't know, and I know many of you get those same stories there as well. We are just all really lucky to have lived through this, and it's a great team that made all this possible. Saturday night was a really, really special night for, for Georgia. It sets up another big moment coming up in Los Angeles. And after what you've seen, is there any possibility you could ever doubt that Georgia might actually really be able to get this done again? My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We're going to have a fun one today here as we go for two and 22 and talk about an unbelievable Peach Bowl on Saturday night against Ohio State, our buddy John Stinchcomb is going to help us with that in a moment. Uh, but first, let me remind you, big thanks to our friends at Palo Window and Door of Georgia for making this all possible. Of course, they can equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. And so many of you begin the new year with some maybe New Year's resolutions. One of the resolutions you may have is, hey, I want to take good care of my house here in the new year. I want to make my house look as good as it can from the outside, feel as good as it can on the inside. And obviously, really superior windows and doors are a great way to do that, like the Pella product is famous for. So maybe as you start thinking about those great home improvement projects here in the upcoming year, upgrading your windows, upgrading your doors could be a great way to do all of that. The good news is, is that Pella's got unbelievable savings opportunities uh, for you right now. Uh, you can go and find out more about this online, PellaFGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaFGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1429, 678-638-1429. Now, when you talk to one of these Pella experts, the great thing is it's not a pressure conversation. It's just simply an informative conversation. They're going to describe the full array of products they have for you. They'll talk about your installation options, your financing options, and all the ways in which that you can make a great experience even better by getting those Pella windows and doors right there in your house. So make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily sent you because I really believe they're going to take great care of you. I know they will. And you tell them I said that because uh, I promise you they're going to do good stuff for all of you. You can also stop by and see them at their experience center right there in Duluth. So great stuff from our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Make sure you te- check them out and you'll find out why they are viewed to be the best. So as I said before, we're going to talk to John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. And when we do that, John was actually there. John will give us the perspective of former players. That'll be really fun. But I want to keep the conversation going for a minute before we get to John. Let's go around the doghouse here assisted by our friends at AAA. And so there was a moment from Saturday that I really, really loved in the post-game press conference with Kirby Smart where 
Smart actually told a story that had happened on the night before the game. And these are one of those kind of little insider things that sometimes, you know, Kirby will drop in there, which I think is really interesting to hear because ultimately, as we start trying to make, put the list together of all the big plays that happen, you'll think about the big breakaway touchdown for uh, Arian Smith, the one that really, I think, made believers out of everyone, even those who had kind of maybe given up or started to doubt when Smith hits the big home run touchdown. Uh, all of a sudden now it's a, it's a one-score game and everybody's kind of back involved here. The Kears jackson catch, which I believe I mentioned a moment ago, that set up Georgia for the – you know, the, the A.D. Mitchell touchdown, the, the Latin McCockey two-point conversion. So much, so much of this involved Georgia wide receivers. And when you really think back on the, the big key moments in the game, there was a receiver involved in so many of those things. And Kirby told a story on Saturday about what Georgia's wide receivers coach, Brian McClendon, had said prior to the game. And I think in light of everything that happened, I guess the words that McClendon used prior to the game probably take on an extra level of poignance. We're around the doghouse assisted by AAA. Let's hear Kirby talking about the wide receivers and the role they played in this win against the Buckeyes, a program that's, by the way, famous for the best wide receivers of them all. But Georgia's guys held their own on Saturday night. Here's Kirby about that again. I thought BMAC did a good job selling to our team. You know, we had several coaches stand up and speak on Friday, and he talked about, you know, the, the, the personal – respect level that he has for all the attention their receivers are getting and they certainly deserve that they certainly deserve that they're really good really talented but we got some good wideouts too and they had a chip on their shoulder and they wanted to make some plays and they got a quarterback that can get them the ball and uh, a lot of those guys were able to come back and it was, it's really been by committee when you look at it I mean you see AD Arian Lad. I mean all kinds of guys making plays in the passing game for us Marcus has made big plays when it was over, Stetson Bennett also talked about on the Aaron Smith play that, hey, that's just speed, and it really is. And, you know, Smith just blew right by his guy, and, you know, you're reminded of, oh, yeah, that's why you want these kind of top 10 in the country wide receivers, these wide receivers that rank among the top 100 of all recruits. That's why you want guys like that, because they do have those separation abilities. And can you imagine a moment here, you know, the non-Georgia fans who've kind of derided Georgia because they wanted to say, well, Georgia's good, but can they win a shutout, a shootout type game? Of, you know, Stetson Bennett's a good quarterback, but can he go toe to toe with one of the best quarterbacks? Can he do all those things? Well, on Saturday night, we found out. Yeah, you better believe Georgia absolutely can do all of that. And guys like Arian Smith showed you that Georgia's actually got some of the same talent at the wide receiver position that some of the other best programs in the country have kind of had. It just so happens a lot of those guys have been injured at different points in time, things like that. You can obviously go back and kind of you know relive all that at some point but on Saturday night Georgia absolutely got the big plays it needed from its wide receivers and it sounds like to hear Kirby Smart talk there that it was a Brian McClendon challenge almost or or you know kind of a vote of confidence maybe maybe it was so much a challenge as it was to step up in front of the team on Friday and say hey I know you've heard about Marvin Harrison Jr. I know you heard about Julian Fleming and uh you know uh, some of those other guys there as well but I believe in my guys and on Saturday night these Georgia wide receivers absolutely went out there and uh, justified that level of confidence by the way they played. So we all kind of have our running list of, hey, what were the biggest moments? What were the things you remember? You know, how did all this, uh, how did all this play out? And on my particular list, I do have the McConkey two-point conversion. I do have the Mitchell touchdown to win the game. I, I, I do have the Arian Smith touchdown that kind of changed everything there in that second half. I have a night in which, you know, Bennett doesn't throw for 300, was it 397 yards? 397 yards, he threw for three touchdowns, he ran for one there as well. I think that Bennett cemented himself as a historic figure in Georgia football lore. If that was ever doubted, if that was ever untrue, 
Uh, if there was ever any concern or question about that, I think all doubt was completely removed about that on Saturday night. But Bennett can't have the game he had unless some of those Georgia wide receivers stepped up and had the game they had. And you just can't do you can't do something like that uh, against a program like Ohio State that was known for its great wide receivers and obviously had so much of that coming into the game. You can't overlook the fact that on Saturday, Georgia's wide receivers, uh, a group that's probably been maligned, a group that's probably not gotten the same level of attention, probably kind of thought to be the outlier with the Georgia program, just given the overall talent level that Georgia has. Sometimes folks sort of view the Georgia wide receivers as a little bit of an outlier on all of that. But on Saturday, they were as good as they've ever been on a night when they were needed as much as they've ever been needed. you got to give them a lot of credit for that. So we wanted to do that here around the doghouse, assisted by our friends at AAA. Now, by the way, speaking of AAA, who brings around the doghouse, too, is obviously they're a great name to know for roadside assistance. We've got a lot of folks traveling right now. You may have traveled into Atlanta to see this game, or you've been traveling throughout the holidays to see your family and friends, and obviously AAA, a great thing to know as you're doing all of that, because that membership card in your pocket a legendary roadside assistance, always really great. They're also a good resource when it comes to saving money on hotels and things like that. AAA is really famous for that, too. But we want to think about AAA for something different. We want you to think about AAA as a great resource for your insurance needs there as well. Your home insurance through AAA, when you switch and save with AAA, you're going to put more money back in your pocket because they have some very creative ways they can save you money. One of those when it comes to home insurance is what they call claim forgiveness, which means that your first claim can be forgiven when you're insured and claim-free with insurance through with AAA for the last five years. It's kind of a clever way they have of saying, hey, we'll take good care of you. We'll put more money back in your pocket. That claim forgiveness is a great way to do that. So you can get all your coverage and benefits at AAA.com slash home insurance. That's AAA.com slash home insurance. You can find out more about that. You can also give them a call, 833-718-2075. 833-718-2075. Great to have AAA. Uh, presenting around the doghouse for us here today and assisting with all of that. All right, so this is one of those days in which you just sort of soak it up, you bask in the glory and the glow of what was an unbelievable day for Georgia football. And over the course of our time here on our show today, we're just going to try to do that, kind of looking back and remembering and uh, reliving all of the top moments in this game. And to help us do that right now, another guy who was there on Saturday – and had a great time with all of this. It's our buddy John Stinchcomb. We call this a Marlowe's Tavern. Insider update. Let's talk to John Stinchcomb right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So as I bring on John Stinchcomb, i got to show you a picture here. You think you had a good time on Saturday night? Let's look at John Stinchcomb. He and his family were there. He's also hanging out with some of the great players in the history of the Georgia program. John Stinchcomb having a good time there, too. His brother Matt sharing this on Twitter. You talk about a lot of goats in one picture at one time. You see the two Stinchcomb bookends here, the offensive tackles, Matt and John Stinchcomb. Champ Bailey, who was the honorary captain uh, from the, for the game, standing right there in the middle. That's a happy trio of uh, great former dogs right there and a, uh, a great-looking thing to be able to see. Big smile on John Stinchcomb's face, and smile was even bigger when the game was all said and done. Uh, John, you've been around about as long as I have been. You've played in some big games, but have you ever experienced anything quite like what we lived through on Saturday night? As I confess to our audience, I'm not quite so sure it was fun for me while it was going on, but man, it sure is fun to look back on right now. I'm right there with you. What a great way to start the new year. I mean, obviously there were some tense moments and it's one of those heavyweight fights. I think Ohio State 
was the number two team in the country, and they showed that uh, it was a well-deserved inclusion into the college football playoffs because Georgia had all they wanted on uh, that New Year's Eve. And uh, it, it was it was one of those games that was instant classic. You know, there's so many plays that people are discussing, and you know, what if this had gone another way? And I think that's what you want in those big-time matchups, especially – at the end of the day, when you end up on top, and we can look back with smiles on our faces and go, man, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. Yeah, and for me, you know, the thing that people compare it to is the Rose Bowl from 2017. And I'll tell you, as someone who was you know, lucky enough to be at both games, I think for me, the Rose Bowl created a very different feeling for me because that was Georgia's first taste of a big game like that in this era. And there was a degree for me, which was, sort of just happy to be there. This is the Rose Bowl. This is a game I'd watched on TV my entire life. Frankly, I think I probably imagine I would never be at a Rose Bowl. I, I guess I'd probably assume that George would never play out there. So there was a certain surreal facet to that Rose Bowl that I think made the stakes feel a little bit lower. Yeah, George was playing to go to a national championship game, just like it is uh, was on Saturday night. But I don't know that I saw the stakes as quite as high because even playing for a national championship also seemed a little bit surreal. Well, there's nothing surreal about that anymore. Georgia won the national championship a year ago, and all of a sudden now you're playing an Ohio State team that wants to take that belt from you. They want to take, in a lot of ways, food off your table, right? In the future, we've got SEC versus Big Ten as the two power leagues, and there's a power struggle on this field on Saturday. So there is no longer that just happy to be here feeling anymore. There's the sense of devastation if Ohio State in your own state, in a stadium that you kind of think of as a second home, if they come down here and take this from you, that's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And so this version of the shootout game, I think, had so much higher emotional stakes for me than the one against Oklahoma in 2017 because it was a lot newer feeling for Georgia then than it, than it kind of is now. I can agree with that sentiment. I'm having been at both games. I think the "we've got nothing to lose" mentality was the approach in, in the Rose Bowl, and you think, "Man, whatever happens, what a cool experience!" We've we're we're on the cusp of something great, and now it's we've got something to defend. We we do have something to lose, and when you're the number one team in the country for the better part of an entire season, and head and shoulders above most of the competition and you're trailing by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, that's not the same feel that I had in the pit of my stomach in, as we did what was it, five years ago in the Rose Bowl. So I totally agree. I, I think that's the, the bar that's been raised for Georgia is the expectation that you know, when you have an opportunity to play in a national championship that, that we're going to finish the drill, if you will, using old Georgia verbiage and make it to, to where we're supposed to be. And that's hoisting a trophy in the final game of the season. And, uh, you know, what a great way to do that in, in finishing out the, the game against Ohio State. I mean, you talk about intensity, you talk about a heavyweight brawl. That's what that game was. And, you know, being the nerd that I am, went back and watched the the film again, sure. and you just see such great plays. And Ohio State, I mean, you talk about uh, giving another team credit. Uh, C.J. Stroud proved to me, and I, I think the rest of the country, how truly special he is. Same same thing for the wide receivers and you know, all the the hype coming into the game that Ohio State's got this firepower and. 
um, you know, elite level players. You know, sometimes that term gets thrown around, and they were every month, every bit the the billing uh, that that they'd received prior to the game. They were deserving of all of it. So we're almost a half hour into the show, and I haven't talked yet about the greatest timeout that's ever been called in the history of college football. But I think, <laughs> I think you can at least make a case that what Kirby does to prevent the fake punt resulting in a first down for Ohio State, and if, if Ohio State had moved the chains in that moment, the game might have been over. Now they had 12 guys in the field. Referees didn't see that. That was a little bit of a theme uh, for some of the action on Saturday. But, you know, John, as a former player, here's what I'm interested in hearing from you. How chaotic is the transition from kind of a re- what I think of as regular football to more special teams football, and how difficult is it, even for a sharp head coach like Kirby Smart, to really see what's going on there? He told the story after the game of not having the special teams channel on his headset. I guess they were trying to scream at him. And you know, as someone who's played at every level there is, including the NFL, you know, how chaotic can it be going into a special team situation like that? And how how important is it? And how you know, you know, remarkable is it that they did spot what ultimately would have maybe been the dagger that ended the game for them? Oh, it's it is incredible, and those situations are there's there's so many different ways that they can play out. It's hard in the moment to figure out what what you got to protect and where you need to be and how you line up and, and what you're defending against. And the mentality is shifting from you know defensive players playing defense to you know, am I, am I on punt return? Is yeah. that is, is my primary goal of identifying who I'm supposed to block and set up a, you know, a return for uh, all those things are now entered into the equation. It makes it so much more challenging. And for, you know, obviously they, I, you know, they did miss that that 12 men on the field call, similar to how I don't think Tyler Simmons was off sides a few right. years back. But that doesn't matter. It, you, you end up playing those plays and going, uh, man, what what could have been, what would have been. And so to, to get that timeout in there, it's one of the best coaching moves uh, that, that you find in those situations. And, you know, so much is made of uh, time management and play calling. This is one of those decisions that I think is it gets unheralded when you're in a situation where you re- recognize you're not in the positions that you need to be. You're not aligned the way you're supposed to be. And, and there is, you can see the scramble in your team in a scenario where you need everyone locked in and keyed in on what their responsibilities are to be able to pull the trigger and call that timeout, knowing that this is, you know, pointed towards a, a close game and maybe you need to save those timeouts. Let's not lose sight of that part of the equation of saying, if this comes down to it, do I need to hold on to this timeout? Well, you don't get that opportunity to, to be in that moment of the game where you need those timeouts if you don't make the right call at, on, on this very important fourth down. So lots of credit to, to keeping your composure and, and recognizing the situation and making the right call in a very, very difficult, high-pressure chaotic situation and you also are kind of touching on something else that I wanted to bring up with you here which is you know late in the game you know everything that everybody's kind of said is oh did, oh, did, did Georgia leave Ohio State too much time and maybe they almost <laughs> did obviously Ohio State had a chance to kick the game-winning field goal but I truly feel very strongly about this I know there were what probably 14-ish 15-ish seconds some, something in the teens on the play clock when Georgia snapped the ball and what turned out to be their game-winning go-ahead touchdown there 
But, John, I truly believe that Georgia's number one responsibility in that situation is you got to score. And, you know, if you get too caught up in trying to manage the clock, you're not managing the moment. You're, not, you're maybe not scoring that touchdown. And, obviously, in a perfect scenario, you would have scored on the very last play of the game and never gave the ball back to Ohio State. But I think that's, I think that's uh, sort of overstating the ease with which you can score. Even against Ohio State, defense have been giving up stuff all day long. And even though you're kind of right down there at the goal line, your job is to still score there. And that's also, I think, kind of speaking to how it feels on the sideline and the coaching box and the situation like that, that it's very hard to think about two things at once. And we can all think about the play clock because we're, we're not thinking about the call that you're making as a coach on a play that leads to the, to the touchdown throw there. But ultimately, the one job is way more important than the other. You know, you know put the game on your defense, let them go you know, do what they need to do. But if you can score, you got to right there because you're losing the game. It's not a tie game situation. You're losing trying to take the lead. Yeah, those time management situations at the end of the game, you have to prioritize. And the, the priority for the offense is we got to score. We have to score. And in, in an ideal world, you run as much time off. I think we saw at the end of the second quarter before halftime, the capabilities of Ohio State to, to be able to move the ball down the field. And that certainly scares you when, when you have a defensive-minded head coach. That's part of the equation of saying, hey, we can't give these guys too much time. But those are only factors if you punch, your, punch it in and, and you score the way Georgia does. So, you know, ideal world, absolutely. You don't want C.J. Stroud to have any time because you see how capable he is and how proficient that offense can be. Uh, but, you know, like you say, priority number one, we got to score this thing. And um, Georgia was able to do that. And you look at you know, Stetson's, Bennett's uh, statistics in those fourth quarters of big games, and it is one of the most impressive stats you have out there. So for a guy that, that continues to, you know, become the center of discussion of you know is he good is he great or is he not uh which is it's almost comical at this point that that's still a a talking point for so many but uh in those big moments he continues to find ways to put his team in a position to win the ball game and that's what that offense was able to do once again uh, and then you put the onus back on the defense, yeah. which is something that Georgia has felt very comfortable in that space for for a long time. As a you know, we we play the highest level of defensive ball um, as any team in the country, and so I think you do have that trust that they can come up big. And you know, even with that said, Ohio State was in a situation where. That ball doesn't go helicoptering off the the kicker's foot at the end of the game. They could have very easily, you know, sunk the dagger even deeper. So, so I want to talk about uh, that's why you play the game's fun. I want to talk about the defense here for a moment because obviously they gave up forty one points. They're not happy about that, and against a pretty potent TCU offense, they're going to have to improve. And we'll get to TCU eventually before this phone call is done. I promise that. But I want to talk about the Georgia defense here just for a second. In that. You know, we had said coming into the game that Georgia had four sacks last year in the national championship game. It had four sacks against Michigan, had had like six sacks this year against Tennessee. That when Georgia has won its biggest games, there has been some pass rush involved in that. And lo and behold, in the midst of what was a chaotic day and where Ohio State was just feasting offensively, 
when it's all said and done, Georgia still got four sacks. You know, Javon Dumas Johnson had a big one. You can kind of go back through and kind of count some of these. Uh, Javon Bullard had a, had a big one. That that when it's all said and done, you know, you know, Georgia still got after the quarterback a little bit. And even in a day in which Ohio State scored forty one points, if you have one fewer of those sacks, that may be the difference between winning and losing here. That that, that ultimately that Georgia really did do just enough defensively to still win this game, even though Ohio State scored far more points than this Georgia defense is used to giving up. Yeah, you know, I, like I say, I went back and watched the game because it's hard to catch all of what's going on in the moment, and. Having watched back through it and seen, you know, Georgia, I thought, did a really good job of pressuring the quarterback. Ohio State was in a number of situations where they have seven in protection and only three guys out on routes. And uh, C.J. Stroud's able to extend plays when you only have that many, uh, that few options in receiving core, um, then you have to have a little more time for those guys to work themselves open. And uh, Ohio State does a great job of moving the pocket. Um, and C.J. extends plays, and I think we saw that. I thought Georgia did a good job of affecting the passer and, and moving the pocket and um, trying to get that pressure. And C.J. was just able to answer that call. And I also think that uh, that the receiving core does a an exceptional job of getting open and, and making contested catches. So, uh, you know, you look at the stats and you say, well, this isn't your typical performance by a Georgia defense. It was not dominant, and and that's fair, that's accurate. But I think it's more to the uh, extension of plays and uh, Georgia challenge that Ohio State offense, and and they were able to answer that call. It was not a letdown in play uh, from this Georgia defense. I think you're just in one of those matchups where you give a guy who's got the skill set that Stroud does and have the weapons that he has um, in, in Harrison and Fleming and, you know, the, geez, they had a number of playmakers that were able to, to step up and make plays. So I don't come down on, on this Georgia defense and say they didn't play well. I, you know, it, they allowed more yardage and more points than you'd want, but you know, as a unit, I think they did a pretty good job of getting after it. You, you think that interception, uh, a couple missed field goals, uh, certainly plays into the, the challenges of the game overall. But um, the reason why Ohio State was able to, to put up the points that they did, I think, comes down to the exceptional play of, of their playmakers. We'll try to squeeze in two issues before we let you go, John, if you don't mind. Let me begin with the Stetson Bennett part of this. And I don't think there's any doubt now that he is in a historic category. You know, he won the shootout game against the Heisman finalist-level quarterback. C.J. Stroud was amazing, but the numbers for, for Bennett end up looking right there on par alongside with what Stroud got done in the game. So I think whatever you think about C.J. Stroud, you have to think something similar about Stetson Bennett in, in a game like this. And I, I just think that his historic status is is unquestioned now. And so I guess my question for you then is, well, what is that status? You know, how do we describe what the Bennett career is? And obviously there's one more game to come, so so he can obviously add to that lore, you know, are we talking about, you know, greatest quarterback in program history? Are we talking about, you know, 
you know, most pivotal player. I mean, I would still rank Herschel Walker ahead of Stetson Bennett, to be completely frank here. Uh, I don't want to lose sight of how great Herschel Walker was. But is Bennett now the next guy behind that? I mean, you know, what category do you put Bennett in in terms of, you know, what his career has meant to UGA and kind of how he ranks historically? How do you describe what Stetson Bennett has turned into? Because what he's turned into is, is, is really something. Yeah, I mean, I, I hands down the most successful, and I would rate him the number one quarterback uh, in Georgia history, and that's that's a tall feat. And you think about all the guys, and heck, that comes with some personal relationships for me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was Greeny and Shock, and uh, got to know Aaron Murray over the years. I mean, we've had some great quarterbacks. Obviously, Eric Zier is not someone to to look past, and Matthew Stafford has the best NFL career of all of them. So we've had some great quarterbacks, but none of them were able to go. And, and that's modern era. And we're not going back to the Buck Baloo days. And uh, that, that was a different game back then for the most part. But uh, what Stetson's been able to do, the whole game manager tag that sometimes he gets labeled is, is so grossly um, – inaccurate in my assessment that he does so much more for this offense and then just not turn the ball over and, and distribute to the other playmakers who you know make him look better. That's not been the case, especially this season. You watch the plays that he's made and he is a special talent. And uh, I think at times does not get the credit that he deserves. And will be in that discussion. I, you know, in, in the lore of Georgia football, I, I don't know if anyone can dethrone Herschel um, from from that perch, but he's certainly a guy that you come, if, if we do finish uh, this season off the way it's supposed to and, and you go back-to-back national champions, then I, I think that becomes the discussion. He, the best... Um, and, and best is kind of a subjective term, but uh, the most impactful, the the uh, yeah, w- what is the right term yeah. for a guy who plays the premier position and leads a program that has been in a national championship drought for 40 years to back-to-back national championships. So it's a fun discussion to have, and, and he certainly has – been elevated into that status and i think it's been an earned honor for him before i ask you what comes next for george let me remind folks this is our marlo's tavern insider update with uh, john stinchcomb right now he is our george insider but you yourself can be a marlo's tavern insider and frankly it's actually pretty easy to do so here's what i want you to do i want you to go to marlo's tavern.com and find out how you can uh set yourself up to become a member of the Insiders Club. When you do so with our friends at Marlowe's Tavern, you're going to get a great incentive for doing this. You're going to get $10 off, $30 purchase, just for signing up at Marlowe'sTavern.com when you do that. Then after that, when you're in the club, here's how it works. You can dine at any Marlowe's Tavern, and when you spend at least $15, that's going to become a qualified visit. Now, when you complete four qualified visits, you're going to receive a complimentary entree reward up to $20 on your next visit. It's really simple, and you can redeem any of this at your favorite Marlowe's Tavern, including the one that's right there in in your neighborhood. So there's also great stuff for your birthday there as well. Let's go to Marlowe's Tavern.com to find out more about this. That's Marlowe's Tavern.com. You can 
also download the Marlowe's app. You can become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club and get great, great benefits for doing that and enjoying the great chef-inspired food and the craft cocktails that make Marlowe's Tavern so famous. You can check that out today, and it's a great way to kind of spend the new year enjoying some delicious food and some great beverage with our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. So become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern uh, Insider Club there online today, marlowestavern.com for that. So, John, I have to admit... I have gotten it wrong on TCU so much all year long. Didn't expect them to beat Michigan. Frankly, I thought Michigan would win the game easily. Uh, have picked against TCU many times during the year. For the most part, all those went incorrect. I guess I finally got it right the Big 12 title game. But I've been wrong every other time I've kind of gone in on the Horn Frogs this season. It's not because I don't think they're talented. It's not because I haven't been impressed with what they've done. I just kept expecting their luck to run out because they have won a long string of kind of close games the way the college football teams typically cannot be counted on to do. So I have to plead ignorance here. When you look across the field at what Georgia has seen the national championship, how much of them have you seen this year? Did you see much of the game against Michigan? Frankly, I didn't see a ton of that either because getting ready for the uh, Georgia game, at least as much of it as I would like to have seen, what do you make of who Georgia will be seeing in Los Angeles? This is certainly not probably the program we would have expected Georgia to be playing in this particular spot. So what can you tell me as we kind of build up to the national championship here? Well, what's funny is prior to last night, I, I'd only seen the highlights you know, of, of Duggan as he's going into the Heisman discussion and what you see on ESPN following a, a Saturday's games. I hadn't watched a, a full game of TCU all year. And so, you know, last night I went back and watched uh, their game against Michigan, their game against Kansas State twice, and trying to figure out, you know, what, I know the, the storylines about TCU, but I didn't know their team. And you watch them play, and, and really you, what jumps out to you first is Max Duggan is a playmaking Jesse, man. He gets out there and <laughs> It is impressive to watch because he runs the the ball well. He extends plays. They pre, play a, a spread offense that I think is uh, similar to, to what Tennessee does, and that they spread the field. You know, Tennessee does some things a little more unorthodox with their alignments, uh, at least pre-snap. But um, I think it's a we're, we're going up against another offense that is positioned around a quarterback that can make plays that not many others can't. And uh, they got a really good wide receiver. they got a really good running back. And I think for Georgia, it comes down to, you know, a tackling. You watch a lot of their games, you know, the, the three that I just mentioned that I watched last night, broken tackles and missed tackles is a recurring theme. And um, it also, as you're scrolling through this film, you see that, they don't. They don't panic. They don't. You know, they're down a couple touchdowns and a couple of these games, and um, you don't see the panic. You see teams, a uh, team that continues to uh, swing hard when they do. I mean, they take some shots down the field. At, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they lead the country in big plays, mm-hmm. and that's because Duggan has very little fear of, of putting his wide receivers in those one-on-one. Um, situations where he'll throw those balls that you know they're called 50 50 balls but he puts them in a, in a spot where they're no longer 50 50 balls uh it's it's in a position for his wide receivers to make plays and that becomes a, a recurring theme when you watch their tape is man this guy continues to 
make some difficult throws and difficult situations, and, and their team comes up with those plays. And uh, also, is it uh, Miller, their, their running back, is, is another guy that you see him break tackles, you see him get loose and outrun guys. And so they've got some playmakers um, that that really challenge defenses. So having been fairly clueless 24 hours ago what TCU is all about, you see why they're in this situation. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of them making those big plays, believing in themselves, and, and never quitting because, you know, they, they were down in a couple of those games and fought their way back. John, great stuff. Happy New Year. I really appreciate you being here. I'm glad you all had fun at the game on Saturday. It was one to remember, and we're certainly very lucky for being able to live through it. So I appreciate you telling your perspective on all of this, and I can't wait to uh, just enjoy uh, more of that with you in the future. But obviously there's some big business to be taken care of coming up next Monday prior to that. So next time we talk, I guess if you're available, it'll be game day. It'll be uh, – I don't know if you'll plan on being in Los Angeles or not, but we'll figure all that out. But uh, we'll try to get a preview of this big game before it's all said and done because uh, all eyes point towards Los Angeles from here. Live from LA, let's do this thing. It's uh, you know, you start this season thinking, you know, this team's got a shot, and it becomes more realistic as as the season played out, and to finally uh, be in this situation where we're still playing football, and uh, there's an, a national championship on the line. That's a that's a great place to for Georgia to be, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. No doubt, John. Thanks for being here, Marlos. To have an insider update, we'll look forward to talking to you then. Always enjoy it, B.A. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So John just volunteered to be on the show live from Los Angeles. Let me tell you something that he probably doesn't realize, and as a veteran of doing shows from California, because we did a week's worth uh, back prior to the Rose Bowl in 2017, uh, Dog Nation Daily 7 a.m. local start in Los Angeles. So... <laughs> So John may not quite realize what he just signed up for, but we'll see if we can figure out some way to accommodate him. Maybe we'll do a pre-tape on the evening before or something like that with at least his portion of the show. Uh, so uh, the rest of us getting ready to understand that when Dog Nation Daily comes to you from the City of Angels, that'll be a 7 a.m. local start. But uh, we are committed to doing what it takes, much the same way these Georgia Bulldogs uh, were on Saturday night, and we are looking forward to being in Los Angeles. We'll have more of the travel details for you on that. Ultimately, you don't care about that. You just want to see the show so we should be able to keep things very very normal if if things stay the way they are right now you'll never notice one day we'll be in atlanta one day we'll be in los angeles and it'll never impact you one way or another now there's also a couple of certain pieces of this house of cards that might topple one way or another between now and then but as it stands right now we should have pretty smooth sailing in terms of transitioning from our friendly confines of our dog nation world headquarters studios uh, to Los Angeles. We'll keep you updated on that. But as it stands right now, we feel pretty good about our travel schedule that's in place. There's also a chance that all of this just completely changes between now and then. So we'll talk more about that coming up in a moment. For now, though, speaking of travel, let's talk to you about some really fun travel plans that we all hopefully have coming up here in 2023, and that's a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Now, listen here. Uh, I want to have you on board uh, Independence of the Seas with us coming up on April. We take the second ever cruise with dog nation last year's cruise turned out to be a national championship celebration if you haven't noticed there's a very good chance that this year's cruise could be very much the same way the final night of the cruise is april 24th to the 28th final night of the cruise 
is the first round of the NFL draft. Last year, we we're celebrating a bunch of dogs. We may get a chance to do some of that here this year, too, uh, which would be uh, really fun. But also, you know, we had a big, you know, kind of rewatch the national championship party. And, and you know, we'll kind of hopefully do some of that. We may even be rewatching the the, the, the the Beach Bowl now. That may be a part of all this, too. The point is, in addition to the great stuff that you do on board Independence of the Seas, I'm talking about the uh, wonderful dining and the specialty restaurants and the fun and the entertainment. In addition to all the regular stuff that goes on board Independence of the Seas, you can also have some special themed dog nation events there as well. So we've got a terrific tra uh, travel agent. Her name is Jessica Slater. She was specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean, and she's the one that's handling all of our travel needs there on that. So you can call her directly, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And she will kind of help you get the cruise booked, but she can also kind of point you towards a website, royaldogs.com. This website she's made that gives you more information about the second ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April. And by the way, when you're talking to Jessica, talk to her about all the other great stuff that's going to be happening with Royal Caribbean here in 2023 and as we head towards 2024. For instance, I'm going to be on board Wonder of the Seas coming up in February. I'm really excited about that. I booked a three-night cruise this upcoming summer for my mom, my entire family, my brother and his family. I'm going to take my mom on a big cruise vacation. We're really excited about that. Plus, January of 2024, about a year away now from the debut of Wonder of the Seas as well, which is going to be an entirely new experience in the cruise industry. Royal Caribbean continuing to set the standard on all of that. So Jessica can tell you about that. Royal Caribbean's got some great stuff on the upcoming slate, including our own second cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April. So that's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So kind of a version of cruising on the SEC here for a moment. Uh, I want to talk more about kind of the, the lay of the land, the college football playoff, and kind of what's going on with, uh, with all of that. And I, as I told John Sinchko a moment ago, you know, ultimately, I, um, I've just gotten it wrong on TCU so much that I'm going to have to tap out at some point in time and say, hey, there is clearly something going on with this team that I haven't been able to figure out because they are now 6-1 and one in one-score games after winning a thrilling game against uh, Michigan. And when you kind of add the thriller for TCU against Michigan plus the thriller for Georgia against Ohio State, like a lot of people will will say, hey, was this the moment that we've been waiting for since 2014 with the college football playoff? Was this the greatest day in college football playoff history? And I think the answer to that question is probably a pretty easy yes because, as you know, we rarely have had you know underdogs even have a chance to win. In the case of TCU, they did win. Ohio State kept it close with George. Look for a moment like they might win. We have not had much in the way of close games at all. About half the semifinal games have been decided by three touchdowns. So from the standpoint of just not typically getting very close games, not typically getting very many memorable moments, we said it had some decent national championship games, but games like what Georgia played in 2017, the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma, those types of moments have been few and far between in these national semifinal type situations. And yet Georgia was uh, Georgia was able to kind of provide, you know, you know, one of those again on uh, on Saturday. Michigan TCU was there as well. So if you're not a fan of one of the four teams involved, certainly one of the Big Ten fans like Michigan Ohio State, this other team lose. If you're just a neutral observer hoping for something that's fun and entertaining. I think clearly you got that in back-to-back -back games in a way that sports almost never really gives us. Like Even in the NFL, when you have AFC, NFC championship on the same day, if one game is good, typically the other game kind of isn't. That's just how the, the, the odds kind of play out sometimes. But on Saturday, you got two absolute thrillers on the same day, and the college ball public seems to be really eating all this up. In the case of TCU... You know, winning the game the way they did against Michigan, it does give a lot of us a lot to think about, about what have we gotten so wrong about, as they call it, hypnotoed, all year long here. What have we not been seeing? Because 
you know, I think we're all led to believe that greatness in a lot of ways comes from avoiding close games, dominating your opponent, winning games, you know, by, by a wide margin. Again, TCU's case, it's been finding a way to pull the games out that's been really a part of their story. Uh, that's kind of how they have gotten that done. And we're going to bring on some extra voices. We're going to bring on some outside voices, you know, from Fort Worth, you know, people who kind of know that TCU program, who've watched them more closely than we have. Yeah, and they're going to tell us this week, I mean, no, no denying, they, even if George is a big favorite in the game, which they are, there is a lot about TCU that makes them a very formidable foe for UGA, but specifically what is there beyond Max Dugan? They had a great wide receiver there as well. That penchant for pulling out games late. You know, what do we need to know about TCU? A lot of the next few days is going to be spent trying to figure a lot of that out. We're going to hear Kirby Smart on that transition here coming up in just a moment. But uh, pretty clearly, one of the interesting things now as Georgia shifts towards Los Angeles, the national championship is – is it is admittedly a surprise opponent that Georgia will be playing there. Even if you thought that Georgia had a chance to get back to the national championship here this year, I don't much think you would have thought the TCU would be the team on the other side. In fact, go back to Memphis in 2016 in the Liberty Bowl. You know, the idea that we're watching two teams on that particular day that would one day play for the national championship, you know, less than a decade later, that's, that's wild to consider, but that's the situation that we're in here right now. Uh, I'll also mention this. For the Ohio State side right now, a lot of controversy, and we're seeing the photo here if you're watching on video. Uh, Bullard, lay, Javon Bullard laying the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. That if it's a touchdown, puts Ohio State up by three scores. If it's a targeting, it gives Ohio State basically what, first and goal at the one. Targeting is initially called and then overturned. And I absolutely believe that's the right call. The officials got this right. It was fairly obvious to see that. It really only took one or two replays for most of the folks there in the press box, even the more objective-minded folks, to kind of see that, yeah, this was a big hit. It was a nasty hit. But, y'all, and Georgia fans, I think, understand this. I'm not quite so sure that Ohio State fans right now do. Just because it's a big hit doesn't make it targeting. It doesn't. And I hate that Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt because I got great respect for him. I, I really do. But Javon Bullard's not trying to hurt him there. Javon Bullard doesn't have time to think about anything. All Javon Bullard's trying to do is separate the receiver. I'm not even sure he knew it was Harrison. He just saw a guy that had a chance to throw a ball. And frankly, Stroud may have been trying to throw it out of the end zone. It may have been slightly underthrown, which is the reason why there was even a chance to make a play on it anyway. But this is an instinctive play. And by the way, go back and rewatch like the overhead shot of this, how much ground Bullard covers just to get there. It's a it's a wild, outrageous play. It's the kind of play that most people would not even have a, you know, a, a thought of even trying to make, and yet Bullard does make the play. And yeah, he laid a big hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. because it's a big moment in the game, and he didn't want Marvin Harrison to get a touchdown. But playing hard is not dirty. That's just not. And by the letter of the rule, it's not targeting. And you know, people say, well, uh, you know, how come Harrison's got a, uh, a concussion if it wasn't, uh, you know, contact to the head? Basketball players get con uh, concussions. If you take a hard fall on the ground, you know, that can result in, in, a, in a head injury. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a medical expert, but I have watched enough football to know that, you know, that, that Bullard's leading with the shoulder. He's hitting him below the head. It's just good football. And I wish I had a photo of this. I'd show it to you. It, I, I'll tell you what you can do. The other day, ESPN.com did an interview with Stetson Bennett. You can probably find this. And they did the interview in the Georgia football meeting room. This is kind of a very specific reference point here. But if you go back and find the interview that ESPN did with Bennett the other day, they did it in the Georgia football meeting room. And the way they had the shot framed, host sitting on one side, Bennett sitting on the other. 
right there in the middle was the back wall of the Georgia football meeting room. You can see this for yourself. This is the same place that Georgia has its press conferences, but when Georgia's not having press conferences, that's what the full team meets in. It's like a theater-style seating. Uh, football teams all have these meeting rooms. Well, in the Georgia football meeting room, there is a big sign that hangs on the back. It's like the, the, like the words are like placed on the wall. And what it says is, and you can see this for yourself if you go and look at the interview that ESPN did with Bennett. It just happened to be framed this way. It says that football is not a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. And that's the truth. Football is a collision sport. Injuries can happen on any play. Bullard could have hurt himself on that play. And yet there's a certain contract that men have with themselves when they play football of, hey, I understand the risk associated with this game and I'm going to play anyway. My body's going to be put in harm's way, and I'm going to play the game anyway. No one's happy that Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt, but we would all acknowledge a guy like Harrison can get hurt on any play. And no, Bullard is not going to slow himself down late in the game at the risk of giving up a touchdown because he's afraid he might hurt somebody or because he's afraid he might hurt himself. That is not what football is. It is not contact. It is collision. And yeah, Javon Bullard collided with Marvin Harrison Jr. in a very violent way. But if you don't like that, you don't like football. And I'm sorry, that's just the way that it goes. And the idea of these Ohio State fans are now all up in their feelings about, oh, we would have beaten you if our wide receiver hadn't got hurt. You're not going to move a Georgia player off his spot with that line at all because Georgia fans have heard that for the last year. So if you want to get in line on the uh, idea of, well, if it wasn't for an injured wide receiver, we would have won this game. Listen, the line to make that argument starts way over here because Alabama fans have been ma making that case for the last year or so. So Georgia fans yawn at the notion of your injured wide receiver cost you the game. I'm just telling you right now, you're not going to get any emotional response from any Georgia fans there on that. But listen, my hat goes off to Harrison. He was amazing the first half. Uh, of, of this game um, he is clearly a great player I hate that he got hurt but am I glad that Javon Bullard separated him from the football yeah I am and I think that Georgia fans are there as well by the way one more thing on the Ohio State part of this CJ Stroud was amazing he was I mean he was amazing and there's this thing that he was doing uh, to me it reminded me of what Joe Burrow did in the same stadium where like Stroud's clearly, you know, athletic, and he actually probably ran more against Georgia than he had run almost any point in the season. But it's that little move, right? It's like, I mean, Jalen Carter almost had him on a sack. I mean, how many times did Georgia almost have him on a sack? And it's not like C.J. Stroud became Lamar Jackson. It's just this one little, just sort of, you know, like that one little move, and it was just enough to shake off the would-be pass rusher for Georgia. But, I mean, <laughs> have you ever gained more respect for an opposing player in a Georgia win than you had for Stroud there on Saturday. If I could have shaken his hand, I absolutely would have. Uh, I wasn't wearing a hat on Saturday, but if I was, I would have taken my hat off for C.J. Stroud. What an amazing performance. Now you start thinking, you know, what about the Falcons or something like that? I mean, as a Falcon fan, I think I'd probably still, if you had a chance to go quarterback on this current crop of college players, I'd probably still favor Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. I probably feel, I, I probably still think that that, that – Bryce Young is currently the best quarterback in college football, but C.J. Stroud took his game to a level that, frankly, I didn't think that he had. And I'm not even quite so sure every Ohio State Buckeye fan necessarily thought that he had. But when you talk about everything that happened in this game on Saturday, Georgia overcame a Ruthian performance from, uh, from C.J. Stroud on Saturday night, and that's just all there is to that. So 
There's a lot to say about this game. A lot of this coming on the Ohio State side. We're not by any means done with it, but we've used all the time we have for now, so we'll make that cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, after the game was over on Saturday, we'll kind of shift back to Georgia here as a part of our uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window Indoor of Georgia. After the game was over on Saturday, Kirby Smart did acknowledge that now Georgia's going to pick up the pieces. You leave Atlanta, you try to figure out what happened there, you're moving your way back to Athens, you're getting ready for TCU, but there is one big advantage that Georgia has right now that maybe would not have been the case maybe in the past, go back to when they won the thrilling game against Oklahoma back in 2017. So it becomes all about now trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And when the game was over on Saturday night, Kirby Smart definitely acknowledged that. No, we got to start tomorrow. I mean, we got a short window, so you know we can't start when we get back home. We got to sleep, <laughs> um, but we'll 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 get started tomorrow and uh, get 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 jump back on. Luckily, we caught the late game, but we caught the late game an hour from home. So I remember sitting at this point twenty whatever it was eighteen seventeen. I don't even know what year it was, but we had a long flight, and uh, we had a short week. We had a seven day week with a flight from from Pasadena. So, uh, you know, we got a little more time. I think it's important to get healed. You know, our players have had a long season and a long week of practice this week. I want them to get away, remember what they're fighting for, and come back ready, rejuvenated, ready to go, because this is, this is what you do it for. I love that line from Kirby Smart there. Remember what you're fighting for. It is not going to be easy for either of these two teams to put it all back together after what they lived through on Saturday. I think as Kirby said, and we've told this story before, and Jake Fromm on our show has told this story as well, being in the locker room after the Rose Bowl in 2017, Kirby, I mean, we see him intense all the time. I've never seen this side of Kirby Smart where he was so intense. He wanted his team back on that plane to come back to at, uh, Athens as quickly as they possibly could because he knew that was seven days, one of those weird kind of calendar deals. Maybe next year we'll have this again. Uh, maybe so. I don't, I don't, I'm not a calendar expert. Uh, but, uh, you know, where New Year's Day was a Monday, and so therefore the national championship game was seven days away. This year, New Year's Day was a Sunday. That meant the semifinal games were on a Saturday, so you got the couple of extra days to make it slightly longer than a week. But in 2017, transition from Oklahoma to Alabama was just seven days. It was a normal, regular game week, except Georgia was way out in California trying to get back. Now, thankfully, that game was in Atlanta, but still, that hurt their preparation time, uh, knowing they had so much travel to deal with. But in this particular case, they don't have to deal with that. But you're still, you're talking about shaking off the emotional feeling of winning a game against Ohio State. I would say, thankfully, the fact that what TCU went through was at least as intense, if not more, and maybe for them, maybe more so, because this was their first opportunity to be in a game like this. But it's really going to be a wild time. And I'm sure we'll revisit throughout the week some of what Kirby Smart said right there. We haven't really kind of even gotten into what happens next. Is Darnell Washington, does he have any chance of playing? How healthy is he? I saw him in a boot after the game on Saturday. I don't know his health status. Kirby Smart didn't have much he could say about that on Saturday, mentioning the possibility, that whether it's a low or a high ankle sprain. Uh, obviously, we didn't see much from Warren McClendon, maybe a, maybe a little bit. You know, you know, is he healthier? You know, how much can Ladd McConkey kind of improve on from what we did see from him on Saturday? And how do you just sort of refocus and find that little bit of extra energy? Because these guys probably are tired right now. Kirby's probably right when he says they. They probably are tired. He would certainly know. Uh, I shared the video on Twitter of Kirby walking on the field. Frankly, Kirby looked pretty tired, and you can understand why he would be. But you got to pick it all up now. you got to put the pieces back together. you got to get ready to compete and play for a national championship. How fun is this going to be, y'all? How fun is this going to be 
talking about every angle of Georgia trying to win a national championship, fresh off winning a game for the ages against Ohio State. We're going to do it every day here. We are so happy to have you as a part of Dog Nation Daily as we do. So going off here today, I want to reflect on what I thought was not just the viral moment of the game, but I think the number one viral moment of the entirety of the run we sort of think of as the go for two and 22 era here, uh, last year's national championship, this year's uh, uh, you know national championship run that Georgia's hopefully on right now, the fact that as Ohio State's missing the field goal, it's right as the clock's striking midnight. Uh, ESPN shared this on Twitter. We'll make this our golden shoe here today. I mean, does life ever time up so perfectly like this? The clock's counting down. The kick is being missed. Right as the Georgia fans start celebrating inside the stadium, you've got everybody celebrating the new year. ESPN on Twitter says it's just synced up perfectly, almost exactly as the ball dropped. And then you had our great uh, AJC Dog Nation Field Editions with the wonderful headline that said, cheers. You had all the Georgia players holding these up, you know, right as the new year was being celebrated. Life rarely works out quite so perfectly and quite so memorable. But maybe it really is all part of the magic of, as we say around here, go for two in 22. The fact that 2022 ended on such a high note, maybe it really does speak to Georgia's chances of actually being able to get this done coming up next Monday in Los Angeles. We'll make that our golden shoe. And by the way, we'll give you a Gator Hater countdown here as well. 299 days from now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida once again. We have fun with that. But the mission for now is go for two in 22. We'll come back tomorrow. We'll talk about how these dogs get it done. We'll see you then. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia. And of the podcast, time out of the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take your comments here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, online at dognation.com. So much we can obviously do on this, and I do want your feedback because I want to make sure we keep mentioning the moments that matter from Saturday and also what's on your mind going into TCU. That's what makes times like this, these portions of the show, really important. Penguin Power wrote in yesterday after we post our postgame show to say that the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. is what changed the game. It was obviously an important part of the game. It was. But as uh, uh, Suffering Atlanta says, uh, he says, you know, there were a lot of big plays in the game, saying it was just one guy leaving injured. That's insulting to all the other players that were involved in the game. Maybe wouldn't want to do that. And kind of agree with that there as well and as I said during the show listen Javon Bullard does not owe anyone any apologies for anything and he just doesn't this is what football is uh and yeah it was a big hard hit and frankly this is why a lot of people don't like to play football <laughs> you know this is one this is one of those things that kind of reminds the football is not for everybody and Bullard's not trying to hurt uh Marvin Harrison Jr he's not but was he trying to separate him from the football he absolutely was and as I said, you know, the big sign that hangs in that football building at Georgia says this is a collision sport. And what Bullard and Harrison were involved with was a collision. Um, and I hate that Harrison got hurt because, honestly, he had my respect. But we've all joked about this. As much as we've heard from these Alabama fans over the last year, well, if it wasn't for injured wide receivers, what we said to Bama fans at the time was maybe you might not ought to be so dependent as a team on a couple of wide receivers. And so if you're an Ohio State fan, you're like, well, if Harrison hadn't gotten hurt, you know, maybe you might want to have a little bit more going on than just that. Uh, so uh, there's going to be a year's worth of this, no, no doubt. The Ohio State fans are going to give this up. I even saw some like their official media types were just embarrassing themselves um, online talking about this. But uh, I've got no problem talking about the Harrison play. Um, it was It's a shame that a guy got hurt. You, you, you hate to see that. Uh, but was this within the bounds of football? It was. Now, by the way, that's another missed call on the officiating because Harrison actually stepped out of bounds. 
So, uh, you know, no indication that was going to be called. Uh, although I guess one of the referee, one of the officials did take the, the signal for a player stepping out of bounds is the, is the official's hat to come off. A couple of things you see from an official. You, obviously, they either throw a flag, but if they're, you know, worried about, you know, marking a possession when a ball comes loose, something like that, you see the beanbag come out and they throw that on the ground. The other thing that you have is, is in addition to throwing the penalty flag or the beanbag, if a guy steps out of bounds, the hat comes off. So one of the officials' hat came off, but the referee, I don't think, was going to call it. So that's another blown officiating moment. The fact that this even was even reviewed as a targeting, I think, sort of speaks to, frankly, the, as I said on Twitter, kind of the pillow soft nature of the Pac-12 as it is. Uh, that's a football play. It's a football play. And, you know, I don't think Stroud did Harrison any favors there on that. Uh, obviously, he's just trying to make a play happen. But when you hang a ball up in the air in the back of the end zone like that, a guy like uh, Bullard, he is coming for you. He is coming for you in that play. And no one trying to hurt somebody. Nobody wants to get hurt. Uh, but, you know, Georgia's not going to shy away from playing physical, even against the other team's best player. That's just not how that's going to go. So I'm sure that'll come up again in the future. But but for now, that's just sort of what that is. So a lot of moments to remember from the game. Uh, Georgia's got its perspective. Ohio State's got its perspective. And now it's moving on to TCU. So we're going to try to do all of that in the days to come. Thanks for being here as we go for two in 22. And a big thanks to our friends at RS Andrews for making it all possible. The one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs, they will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. You can trust RS Andrews on all of that today. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.